We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And tonight is the first of our final three episodes in our 2022 Dash to the Draft series. And our stop today is the place where nobody can repeat as division champs these days, the NFC East. Joining us to give us his take on how the Giants, Commanders, Eagles, and Cowboys did in the 2022 NFL Draft is our good friend Bill Carroll of Nuts and Bolts Sports. It's a pleasure as always to have you with us, Bill, my man. How are you? Uh, it has been... A while. Um, it feels <laughs> like the draft was a very long time ago, though I guess it really wasn't. Uh, I've, like anyone else who does this, I've actually moved on. The last month and a half, I've been working for next year's draft. So just got through working up a bunch of Phil Jerkovich and Devin Leary's games. Um, so I watched obviously NC State versus Boston College, Boston College versus Clemson, NC State versus. Wait, you don't need to hear what I've been up to. But yeah, getting ready for the next draft. Oh, next year's draft class should be very interesting indeed, and we look forward to having you on next spring to preview the 2023 NFL Draft and recap the 2023 NFL Draft as well. But without further ado, let's discuss these uh, NFC East draft halls in depth, starting with the New York football giants. And throughout the entire pre-draft process, you were adamant, and I mean absolutely adamant, that the buzz saying that Kayvon Thibodeau would fall out of the top 10 picks was total baloney. Man, were your sources correct as the Giants made him the fifth overall pick in the draft. Moreover, you believed that Kayvon Thibodeau was the best pass rusher in this deep crop. Explain why you had him at the top of your board at that position. Sure. Uh, One of the things that I always look for is what is a player consistently, right? I mean, a lot of people look at a player at their very best or at their very worst, and those are good things to look at. But if you look at a player all throughout their high school career and then all throughout their collegiate career, that's the best way to get a good read on where they'll probably start and possibly where they'll finish as a professional. He was a dominant, not good, not very good, dominant player in high school, right? One of the top prospects in the nation. Then he gets to Oregon and he's not good. He's not very good. He's dominant. He's a dominant player in college. He's a player that I'd like to say he's a beginner and an ender. And what I mean by that is that the the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator, the quarterbacks coach, begin and end their meetings prior to playing Oregon with talking about number five, Kayvon Thibodeau. And they have to, right? You have to have a plan for him. He's the kind of guy that makes you plan for him. And when I wrote him up, I said that I thought, at the very least, you're getting a Sean Merriman type player. And I, I still believe that. I think that is probably what he is likely to be. I think he's a four and a half to five sack guy right out of the box who will become a nine to 11 a sack guy consistently throughout his career. I think that he's going to have a a long and successful career. I mean, obviously things can happen, but I'll be very surprised if he isn't one of the best and most productive players in this troll draft class immediately. And I think he maintains excellence. I agree. The Giants couldn't have made a better choice to start off the Joe Shea, Brian Dayball era than selecting Kayvon Thibodeau. But that goodwill continued two picks later at seven overall 
with the Giants fortifying their offensive line by selecting Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal to be the bookend to Andrew Thomas. And given Evan Neal's high floor ceiling combination and the progress that Andrew Thomas made last season, can you see the Giants having a top five offensive tackle combo within the next, say, two to three seasons? They certainly could. I, I think at the very least we're talking probably about top eight. Uh, top five is just tough because so many things have to go right. Uh, and, of course, it depends on what happens to other teams. But they should be at least top eight. They, you have a guy who excels in the run game and is and shows flashes of becoming a great pass uh, blocker, but isn't always correct sometimes with where he sets in terms of depth and sometimes is a little passive with when he sets and how he sets and his punch isn't always as accurate as you like, but he's a, a freak, right? People like him don't come along very often. So it's the kind of player that you think a good offensive line coach is going to take care of some of those issues. So he should be a day one starter and should be a guy that starts for a decade. I agree. And as great, and I mean great, as the Giants' first round picks were, their day two picks were rather head scratching. In the second round, they selected someone several analysts told me shouldn't have been considered until day three in Kentucky wide receiver Wandale Robinson. Why do you think the Giants took him that high? I think they're thinking about matchups, right? And sometimes people will invoke I've noticed it's in vogue now that anytime anyone grabs an undersized receiver who can run at least a bit, they start to invoke the name of Tyreek Hill. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to be mean, but no. Um, he's a very good player. And Wondell Robinson's going to help them in the return game. He's going to eventually become, he'll, he'll probably play in that four wide uh, situation and then eventually become a starter. But he's unlikely to ever reach the heights of a player like Tyreek Hill for two reasons. One is the offense itself. There, Brian Dayball is going to improve that offense, mark my words. But even then, it's not going to be what Andy Reid does, right? It's not, it's not, it, they don't, he won't take those kinds of chances, to be perfectly honest. Um, it, it's a very high wire act kind of offense they run in Kansas City because, and once again, no aspersions on Daniel Jones, but he doesn't do the things that Patrick LeVon Mahomes does. And frankly, you don't want him to do those things because it wouldn't work out. So, <laughs> But what they do want to do is be better in the run game and hard play action. And Wandale Robinson is really great in mesh concepts. He's going to be terrific getting the ball in space and making people miss and picking up extra yards. He's just, but he's not Tyreek Hill. No one is other than Tyreek Hill. He's more like Dante Hall, if you remember. Um, Definitely. With a little, more receiving, a little more receiving polish, but he's closer to that than he is like a Dalek Tyreek. Yes, and you could go far worse than Dante Hall. Dante Hall was one of the most electrifying return men in NFL history. They didn't call him the human joystick for uh, no apparent reason whatsoever. And uh, moving on to the third round here, the Giants had two picks in the round at 67 and 81 overall. And with those selections, they took North Carolina guard Joshua Izudu and LSU cornerback Cordell Flott. Which one of those two is more likely, in your view, to become a long-term contributor for the Giants? I frankly think both will contribute. I don't know if either one will start early in their careers. The one who's more likely to see snaps early is probably as you know, simply because of the offensive line struggles that they've had. And because they're probably going to want to run the ball even more. And as you do is a really good, really good run. Uh, Ty Chandler, the, uh, Tennessee transfer amazed to Carolina had a great last year at Carolina should probably tithe, right? He probably should send whatever he makes a little bit of it 
<laughs> to, to Josh's Udo because he probably made about 40% of his big runs behind as Udo's blocking. He is a terrific, terrific run blocker. A bit of a project as a pass blocker, but I think he can, he can get there. And once again, he's had some injury issues. Uh, the Giants seem to be less concerned about guys who've missed time than some other teams for whatever reason. I guess they, they're just more risk, uh, rest, less risk averse. But assuming he's healthy, he's going to see the field, at least as a rotational guy. Flott <clears throat> has more good players ahead of him in the secondary, in my opinion, uh, than does Ezeudo. So simply because of that, I'm going to say Ezeudo. But I think both guys will, will see some time. Definitely, but the question was, who do you think becomes more of a long-term fixture for the Giants as in past his rookie deal? That's a Yeah, that is an interesting question as well. I'll still stick with Izzyuto, but I like both players. What makes you like Flott long-term? I like Flott because he can play multiple positions, and I think that's what they like about him as well. He can play in the slot, you know, so he, could, he can play outside, and he can even play a little safety in a pitch. So a guy who can play three different positions will have a job in the NFL for a long time. Uh, that's that's true at almost any place anywhere, right? Uh, guys who have position versatility, they're harder to cut, right? <laughs> because yeah. you're looking at the depth chart and saying, well, I can plug him in here, here, and here. If I cut him, I have to carry an extra player to replace him. It doesn't make sense numerically. So Flott's going to have a job somewhere. I just don't know if he'll play as much early on, and I don't know if he'll develop as I don't know if he has much of a ceiling as Izzyuto. I like Josh Izzyuto's ceiling a little bit more as well. Yeah, that's probably why Izzyuto went uh, earlier than Flott in the uh, draft. And moving on to the team that just can't dodge scandals off the field, the Washington Commanders, but we're going to focus on the field for them tonight. And most of the tea leaves in the days leading up to the draft had Washington taking either one of the two Ohio State wide receivers in uh, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. But with Chris Olave still on the board at 11 overall, the commanders traded back five spots and ended up with Penn State's Jahan Dotson instead. Was there a sizable gap between Olave and Dotson that warranted them staying put and taking the former? Or was the trade out and subsequent selection of Dotson warranted? I think it was warranted for several reasons. I don't think I'm telling anyone any state secrets when I say they were not one player away. Uh, Washington was not one or two players away from being an, a Super Bowl contender. They were several players away. And so they picked up those extra picks that are going to help them to contend. I completely agree with Martin Mayhew's decision to trade down. I think that as troubled as the organization is, they've made some very smart moves. I think Jason Wright is helping them to, if you'll pardon the term, right the ship, uh, at least as much as they can. Uh, in Washington. And I think that Martin Mayhew is going to take a smart long-term approach to rebuilding this team. Mark my words, this year, they're not going to win the East, but I will not be surprised at all. Because what I'm the quarterback, obviously, but I will not be surprised at all if they win it next year, right? The year after. I, I, if, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they won it in the 2023-2024 uh, season. They have a lot of good players on this team, right? Uh, there's a lot to work with if they can fix, get like a consistent, locked, not even great, but solid, consistent quarterback play and continue to build one of the better defenses in the league and then get a couple of explosive playmakers, which Jahan Dotson is. The first notes I took on Jahan Dotson when I first started watching him a couple of years ago at Penn State was, Odell Beckham Jr. light, right? Mm. He's got a lot of OG, 
great body control, tremendous route runner, not quite as fast, but fast. Four four six is still pretty decent. So there isn't a huge difference. There's a lot of really good receivers in this draft class. And Dotson was doing it once again, no offense, with not as not the same level of quarterback play, also. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. He had to make more adjustments to balls that weren't exactly where they were supposed to be than any of the Ohio State receivers ever had to. They had better quarterback play. John Dotson's gonna be just fine. He's gonna be a very good player. You add to him to Terry McLaurin, <laughs> if they can get 17th ranked in the league quarterback play, right? That's the number to me. Yeah. If they can get 17th ranked quarterback play in the league, they have a shot to contend this year. If they can ooch that up to number 12 next year, if they have the number 12 quarterback next year, they win the East. Mark my words. Thank you for that uh, roster analysis there, Bill. And I agree. There's a lot of talent in Washington. Hopefully for their fans sake, it is not wasted. And in the second round, the commanders added to their ultra talented defensive line by selecting Alabama defensive tackle Fidarian Mathis. And that means that three Crimson Tide DTs are now in Washington, but one of them, Deron Payne, is coming out of contract after the season. Do you think that Fidarian Mathis has the ability to make Payne expendable? He'll either make him expendable or make him better. And they're, they're, I'm sure they're fine with either one, right? They're <laughs> fine with either outcome. Uh, so this is what you do when you have a player that you like, but they haven't met your expectations. You say to that player, hey, we want you to succeed, but, right? We want you to succeed, <laughs> but we have to have a plan B. Mathis is a fine plan B. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar, but he's going to be consistent and solid. And he's once again, flexible he can play about three different positions he can play a little bit of five technique he can play that four eye he can play even you know no shade so he gives you a guy who can play two or three different positions he is a powerhouse physically strong and of course he comes from alabama where you have played for before you've played in a fairly complex defense where they don't dumb it down for you you either learn that defense or someone else is playing your position so he's used to being pushed hard, coached hard, and playing hard. That's why so many players, I mean, once again, they collect Alabama defensive linemen for that reason. Well, they most certainly do. And uh, consistent, solid, and versatile, that sounds like a Nick Saban player to me. And Fidarian Mathis was indeed that for the Crimson Tide. And at the tail end of the third round, the commanders went back to Tuscaloosa to add to their running backs table with Brian Robinson Jr., can you see Brian Robinson Jr. siphoning away those uh, short yardage and goal line carries from Antonio Gibson this season? Well, I think that's what they intend him to do, right? He reminds me a lot of Ruben Drones. Uh, once again, I know I'm giving <laughs> Broncos. Love. Yes, there you go. Right, right. Broncos legend, Ruben Drones. So he is a no-nonsense, right? That's my first note of him, no-nonsense runner. He No frills, no-nonsense, no fair dodging, right? He, he has just enough wiggle to occasionally make a guy miss in the hole. But he's not looking to make three guys miss. He's looking to make one guy miss. And he's going to run into the other two guys and get you an extra three or four yards. Uh, but he is, a, you know, a basic back. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, right? I mean, unlike some guys who are constantly trying to hit a home run, he's trying to hit singles and doubles. And in Pollard, you have a guy who can do a bit of everything. Robinson does one thing really, really well, and that's run through contact. So you've got your, you know, slash and dash or you know, smash and dash or whatever it is combination with, you know, the, the hammer a little bit at Robinson and then Pollard can do a little bit of everything. Guy who played, you know, almost 45% of his snaps at wide receiver in his college career. 
So I think they're going to use him differently this year. I think he's going to get plenty of touches, but he's get more of those touches in space, and Robinson gets the collision touches. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that backfield situation uh, shakes out, and uh, fantasy owners better be paying attention because Brian Robinson Jr. could be a force in that backfield that minimizes the fantasy ceiling Hands of up. Antonio Gibson and now on to the Philadelphia Eagles and it was apparent before the draft that 2022 was likely going to be Fletcher Cox's final season in Philly and the Eagles silenced whatever remaining doubters there were by trading up two spots to select Georgia defensive tackle Jordan Davis and we discussed Jordan Davis in depth during our defensive tackle preview episode on this dash of the draft series and while you were not quite as high on him as others were you said he could thrive in the right situation and with the Eagles he will likely be part of a deep rotation that will constantly allow him to stay fresh and efficient outside of Baltimore was there a better situation than Philly for Jordan Davis to end up in there were two almost ideal situations and he went to one of them right situation is everything for a player like him and he's in the right situation he's going to be coached up by a very good coaching staff and then you add to that Fletcher Cox who though he's hilarious and fun loving it's very can get very serious when he needs to be and if the young man is not doing what he needs to do in his own way, Fletcher Cox will let him know, hey, this is how we do it here. Fletcher Cox is the kind of guy that even though he knows he might be on his way out the door, wants to leave this place better than he found it. Uh, he's going to go down as one of the great Eagles ever, right? I mean, he'll be mentioned the same breath as Jerome Brown, not Reggie White, but at least in the same breath guys like Clyde Simmons and Jerome Brown. And he deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as those guys. So Jordan Davis is going to be a situation where they're going to move him around and on rundowns, uh, they're going to probably just plop him right in the middle. And then they're going to try to increase his ability because he's got so much size and athletic ability. They're going to try to work him into being a little more of an, 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 an interior pressure guy. And maybe even play him at some three tech, four eye, try to get him up to speed in ways to, to beat half a man, right? He's used to just sort of attacking the whole player. And that's fine in the run game. But at some point, as a pass rusher, you want to take better angles and you want to you know, show less of your chest. He shows so much of his chest to the blocker. that That's what's kept him, in my mind, from being a more effective pass rusher is he stands up too high. He's a big guy anyway. He gives a big old target to the blocker. So if he plays lower and takes better angles, is attacking half a man and is only showing maybe a third of his body to the blocker, he will get more pressure because you're knifing in as opposed to slamming in. Yes, uh, indeed. Those are definitely fixable issues. And he's under a great defensive coordinator. And I mean a great defensive coordinator in Jonathan Gannon. And nobody should be surprised if Jonathan Gannon becomes a head coach in the NFL within the next two years. Jonathan Gannon is that special of a guy. And uh, he's going to coach up Jordan Davis very, very well. Yet the biggest move, the Eagles made in this draft was trading the 18th overall pick to the Titans for Pro Bowl wide receiver A.J. Brown. And by adding A.J. Brown to an offensive skill group that includes Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, do the Eagles now boast a top five to 10 receiving group? Well, certainly on the NFC side, when you look at the AFC and like the AFC West alone, I oh, mean, man. they would be number five if they were to join the AFC West. So, no, <laughs> not top five in NFL. But if you're talking about top five in the NFC, sure. But the AFC, particularly, like I said, I mean, it's ludicrous what they got going on in the out west in the AFC. So, no, not in the NFL. Yeah, very interesting. But uh, 
does uh, AJ Brown's presence, uh, how much does that raise the floor of Jalen Hurts this season? Tremendously. Because <laughs> he goes from seeing the other team's best corner week in and week out to seeing the other team's second best corner week in and week out. And now they can play him in the slot. They can move him around. So you're going to see the Slim Reaper uh, get a lot more ability to exploit what he does best, which is frankly, he's great at double moves. He is terrific at it. So if you, let's say you run, you know, just a, a go route or a deep post with AJ Brown, that means that very often the free safety is going to be over the top over him. And you've got the other team's best corner shadowing him. Now you run a wheel route on the backside with Smith, goal lines and headlines, baby. He's going to maybe get slightly fewer balls in terms of just, you know, in his hands, but look for his yards per attempt and yards per catch to go up. So more production, even with fewer touches. Yeah, I cannot wait to see how this Eagles offense looks uh, this season and going forward. And in the second round, uh, the Eagles selected the likely heir to Jason Kelsey in Nebraska center Cam Jurgens or Beef Jurgens, as uh, some like to say. <laughs> and there were rumors before the draft that suggested that several teams preferred him over Tyler Linderbaum, who went 25 overall to the Baltimore Ravens. Do you think it's very possible that Cam Jurgens has equally as good of a career as Tyler Linderbaum? No, but he'll have a good career. Um, Tyler Linderbaum is essentially perfect, technically, technically and Jurgens isn't. I love Jurgens, right? Both guys uh, have terrific all-around athlete profiles. Both guys were state champions in two different track and field events. They're very similar, but the difference is that Jurgens is just more raw. Uh, so you're, it's going to take a little more polishing, a little more coaching. But here's the good news. He gets to essentially have Jason Kelsey as his spirit animal. I mean, if there's no one he could – if you talk about who should you go try to be if you're Cam Jurgens. You couldn't have asked, once again, situation's everything. You couldn't have asked for a better situation. Oh, undersized center who gets by on movement and positioning? Ta-da! Here's your guy. Here's the guy who's perfect for you to learn from. It's a great move. It's a great pick. It's a great situation. If Cam Driggins doesn't make it, it's either injury or he wasn't as good as we thought. But everything has aligned for him to have success. Absolutely. And Jason Kelsey, he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. He was truly one of the best centers of this young century, and uh, he'll be regarded that way forevermore. And uh, moving on to the third round, where with the 83rd overall pick, the Eagles potentially got the steal of the entire 2022 NFL draft in Georgia linebacker N'Kobe Dean. And N'Kobe Dean, he was a consensus top 20 player in this draft, but there were several reasons why he fell that far. A, a pectoral strain for which he refused to undergo surgery on was one, but an even bigger concern coming out of uh, the NFL world is just how long he can hold up playing the style he does at his petitish size. Do you think N'Kobe Dean will prove those worries wrong and have a long, productive career? I think he will have a productive career. Uh, long is very hard to speculate. With undersized linebackers, usually one of two things happens, right? Either they end up learning how to avoid getting smacked around, right? Which is always the issue. That when pulling guards get on them, they get thrown out of the club. Uh, or even when a guy like Derek Henry comes downhill, they get thrown out of the club. Because you have to 
you can't just run full speed into everybody when you are a smaller. I mean, I'm a former undersized defensive player, so I'll, I can speak a little bit from experience. You have to take the right angle, hit the right part of that guy's body, the right part of your body, or else after a while, they're, you know, taping you up, you're getting surgeries, they're having to clean out your shoulder, that kind of thing. Here's what I like about Dean. He's very smart, tremendously instinctive, terrific in space. The things that are legitimate concerns is he's already had, you know, not injury prone, but he's had an injury. He's undersized and he needs to prove that he can deal with size at other positions. But the good news is he's gone to the right situation. Once again, to some extent, they're going to protect him. They have his teammate, right? I mean, the enormous Jordan Davis. They have guys who can help keep him clean. If he can be kept clean, so those guards and centers don't get out on him on the second level, he should be successful. Once again, situation is everything. He's in a good situation. He most certainly is. And uh, teaming him up with uh, his mate at Georgia, Jordan Davis, was a brilliant, brilliant move uh, by the Eagles for his uh, long-term development. And moving on to the reigning NFC East champion, Dallas Cowboys, who began their draft by addressing the future of their offensive line with Tulsa's Tyler Smith. And Tyler Smith is a guy that has some amazing, I mean, amazing athletic traits. But uh, Brandon Thorne, a renowned offensive line expert, described him as, quote, raw as sushi, unquote. But that said, he will likely start out at guard and eventually kick out to left tackle to succeed another Smith in Tyron Smith in the not-too-distant future. Do you think that's the best possible development plan for Tyler Smith? Yeah, it, either right tackle or left guard. Uh, here's the things you like about a guy like Tyler Smith. He is a, a mean, nasty individual. He, see, I, I talked about throwing people out of the club. Like, he, he literally approaches the game like he's a biker bar bouncer, right? He, he wants to throw guys into the third row of the seats. Now, that leads him being overaggressive and playing with all too far out over, over your skis, right? He gets, he gets too far forward. And he can definitely, I mean, if you've got a good swim, whoa, you can have a good day against him. So he's got to learn to be a little more patient in his set, set back, be better balanced. But man, does he like hurting people. I mean, he's got a mean streak a mile wide, David. Uh, he needs to maybe turn the notch down a little bit on the aggressiveness. He's going to get a lot of flags if he doesn't. But there's a lot to like. I still think he went way too early. Uh, as much as I like him, he's a top 50 player who went to a little too early, but he's once again, situations, everything he's in the right situation. He's going to get coached up. They're going to get good play out of him. I just think they kind of could have traded back and still got there. That's just, you know, the way I see it, but he's a good player. Yeah. You're definitely not the only one who felt that way about uh, Tyler Smith. Uh, there were a lot of people that shared your view there, Bill. And in the second round, though, the Cowboys added some sorely needed juice to their edge pass rush with Sam Williams out of Ole Miss. And according to Daniel Jeremiah and others, Sam Williams would have been a first-round pick had it not been for a domestic violence charge that was subsequently dropped. What makes Sam Williams such an intriguing talent, and how soon do you think the Cowboys will feel his impact uh, getting after the quarterback? Immediately. Uh, they'll feel his impact immediately because you already have Micah Parsons. Remember I talked about guys you begin and end your, your game planning meeting with? That's Micah Parsons, right? You're already beginning and ending your meetings with what the heck are we going to do with Micah Parsons? You add to that a guy like Sam Williams, right, who is a 4'4'6'40 guy at 261 pounds, who's got some Joey Porter-esque type upside. If he's your second best pass rusher, you've got a good pass rush. And no offense to Randy Gregory and whoever else he had in the past, I think he's a bit of an upgrade over the, the, the second best guys they've had recently. 
he's going to give them some immediate boom, kick in the pants production. Uh, he definitely is a guy that had some off the field stuff and he's been, his run game tape is not great. Uh, he definitely bites on some things. He gets suckered up field. You can run into the gap that, that where he used to be his, you know, eye discipline and just general discipline in the run game and toughness in the run game will have to be improved. But as a pass rusher, as a pure pass rusher, if not for the off the field stuff, yeah, he would have gone into probably the top 20 picks. Yeah, potential steal there for the uh, Dallas Cowboys at 56 overall. And in the third round, the Cowboys addressed their post-Amari Cooper wide receiver depth with South Alabama's Jalen Tolbert. And after CeeDee Lamb, there are a lot of questions in that Cowboys wide receiver room. And no offense to Michael Gallup, who I like a lot, but I'm just not 100% sold that he's a legit number two receiver. Would you be surprised if Jalen Tolbert surpasses Michael Gallup on that depth chart within the next three seasons? No. I would not be surprised at all. I think Tolbert is maybe the three or the four, you know, as camp ends. And I think before, you know, if we're, when we're having this conversation a year from now, I could see him maybe by that camp being established as the number two. Jalen Tolbert has a little bit of everything in his game. As he's a four, four, nine guy with some size with long arms and big hands, very, very big hands. He's very good at contested catches. He's a good route runner. He has enough speed that he can beat you deep. He's like Robert Woods, but bigger, right? He's got all the things that got like Woods has, but more size. He can play Z. He can play X. He could be in the slot. Very versatile. A pretty good downfield blocker, even, if you care about that stuff. So there's a, he's one of the most complete receivers in the whole class, Dave. I think he, in terms of value, he's their best pick, probably. The other guys are good players, but they're getting better value out of getting Jalen Tolbert here than getting those other players where they got them. Oh, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating observation there, Bill. I will definitely keep that in mind uh, when I look at stories coming out of the uh, Cowboys training camp in just a couple weeks. And he is Bill Carroll, ladies and gentlemen, NFL draft analyst extraordinaire at Nuts and Bolts Sports. Follow him on Twitter at 11Bravo138. Bill, it is always so much fun learning from you on this program. But before he let you go tonight, I want you to name a player that was either drafted or an undrafted free agent from each team that we have not discussed yet that you think will have a very successful NFL career, starting with the Giants. Okay. Uh, the Giants are a team that I've been very critical of in the past. Uh, as you may remember from some of the past uh, Gettleman-led drafts, <laughs> I have said some somewhat unkind things. I'm going to say some kind things about this draft. Uh, Micah, McFadden is a potentially special starter at linebacker and to get him where they got him gives them an opportunity to find a potential long-term starter. When you get a long-term starter at that point, you know, where you pick him. Uh, I mean, he's a good athlete. He's a off the charts, high character player, leadership potential. I mean, I'm not going to call him Luke Keekley. That would be an exaggeration, but he could end up being a starter. I think it'd be a long-term starter for them. Eight to 10-year starter. And to get him in the sixth round is, to, in my mind, a terrific value. Um, I think that that's, in terms of, once again, value alone, maybe their best pick, just based on pure value. Uh, in terms of the commanders, in terms of just the best pure value pick, 
I really like a couple of players that they got, but I'm going to go with Sam Howell. Uh, obviously, some people's quarterback won coming into this season. And to get him fifth round means that two things happen. One is that Sam Howell didn't have the you know, junior career, junior year that some people were expecting. Uh, but it also means that they got a player who may be their future starter at quarterback in the fifth round. That doesn't happen very often. If they indeed get a long-term starter at quarterback in the fifth round, that's a pick we were talking about for years from now, David. Next year, the year after that, the year after that. Absolutely. For many years, we'll be talking about that if, if that ends up happening, right? And then looking at uh, Dallas. I mean, we, we sort of talked about it a little bit with Williams, but I'll, I'll pick you another player since we haven't we talked about him already. Uh, other players, well, Tolbert too. I feel like both of them. But I'm going to give you one other one. I'm going to give you Matt Walesko. Pick 155 from North Dakota. Uh, the kid is six foot eight, and he has 36 and one eighth inch arms. He is also a good athlete. He's a right tackle, not a left tackle. And, but when you think about Nate Solder, he has a lot of the same qualities that Nate Solder had, a little more strength and maybe not quite the same sort of straight line speed and maybe not quite as explosive, but similar characteristics and like a little more power. Uh, so I think he's going to be a, a potential long-term starter for them. So that's Washington, Dallas. Who would I leave out? Um, Eagles. Eagles. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I really like their draft overall. I may have said that already. I really do like what they did just across the board. But of the um, the players that came to them, not named Kobe Dean, right? <laughs> the not Kobe Dean picks that are tremendous value. And they had a couple of them. A couple of, and, if you also, if you wanted to sort of cheat, you could almost include uh, A.J. Brown, right? But um, thinking about the Eagles not cheating, I like a couple of players. Amongst their picks that I think will end up outperforming their draft position is Kyron Johnson from Kansas, and I'm going to package him with Grant Calcaterra. Both of those guys are six-rounders. Kyron Johnson is extremely, extremely, mark my words, extremely underrated. He's a terrific pass rusher, even though he's an undersized guy. You know, he's 229 or something pounds. But I'm not comparing him to Greg Lloyd because that would be going a little too far. But he's got some Greg Lloyd-esque qualities. He's very strong to be a smaller linebacker. He's a terrific pass rusher. What, pound for pound, one of the best pass rushers in the draft class. He's terrific on special teams. He's good against the run. The only reason he went this late is he went to Kansas. He, the same player, the exact same player, put him in LSU, he goes in the second round, or the latest, the early third. And then Greg Cal Calcaterra ended up retiring for a year, right, in, because of all the concussions. He had six concussions or something like that uh, in his time at Oklahoma. Uh, really missed football, got cleared medically, had a really terrific career uh, ending up at SMU. And he's a move tight end. Your classic sort of undersized but quick athletic move tight end I think he's going to help them and sort of fit into that second tight end spot so those are the ones uh, that I think were worth mentioning Bill Carroll thank you so so much once again for donating your time and your incredible 
beautiful football mind to our program. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But our recaps of the 2022 NFL Draft Classes will continue soon, as will our special Beyond the Chap series with the 2022 Denver Broncos cheerleaders. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with dcrom And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Bill Carroll, this is David Cromwell saying so long and whatever you do, choose love, choose kindness, choose compassion, choose empathy, and keep the people of Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, Highland Park, Illinois, and the brave, inspiring people of Ukraine in your thoughts, prayers, and whatever actions possible. Until next time, cats, kittens, stay cool. <laughs>